this is Jared. This is just a little quick blurb on my advertisements. I have iHerb, Remedy Link. Um, I have direct support for my Red Circle, which is my new host. Um, as well as for every episode, I'll try to include uh, relevant affiliate links um, as well as my coaching as well. Please check them out. Uh, there's no obligation to you know donate or click or anything, but they really help sell help support this podcast and I'd really appreciate that. Hey everyone, this is Jared. Um, this is our uh, obligatory uh, sponsorship audio blurb. Um, this is just to tell people that I use Anchor. Uh, it's an awesome app. You can use it on, I believe, iPhone, Android, um, or your computer, and there it's all connected, your account. It's very easy to do. Um, you can make money from it, and there's no minimums. There's no nothing to sign up for or pay for. Um, and it automatically distributes it to a bunch of different platforms as well, too. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a lot more. Um, the, free, the app is available on the iTunes Store, Android. And you can also go to the website, which is anchor.fm. Uh, to get started. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and feel free to ask me any question. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, so just, um, if you can, just kind of give your background. Um, okay. You're kind of starting to talk about it, but uh, in the Army and PTSD and other stuff like that. Right. Uh, uh, first off, like uh, I was born in Peru, and when I was 14, my family moved to the U.S., and I grew up in the U.S. I went to high school in the U.S., and uh, I think I had a pretty normal life. I was trying to adapt to the culture and learn the language and everything. Uh, I was never able to get rid of my accent, so wh whatever you guys hear, that's just my Spanish Peruvian accent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And when I was 32, it was uh, around two, it was 2009, and the economy wasn't doing so well. Uh, so I couldn't find work, and I wanted to provide for my family. So the military is always hiring. So I reached out to the to the army, and they said, "Sure, you qualify. You're good to go." And I went to basic training, and and then uh, I graduated. And then soon after that, I was in Germany as my duty station. And within a few weeks, I was in Afghanistan, and I was in the middle of combat for 10 months uh, in Afghanistan. And, and this was around, um, you enlisted around 18 or what, what age? Uh, it was 2009 when I enlisted. And then uh, by December, December of 2009, I was in Afghanistan. Okay. And, and then I spent 10 months in Afghanistan. And uh, how, how old were you at the time now? I was 32, so I was one of those late uh, older oh, people. Oh, yeah. I was one of those older people. I mean, I was just so concerned that would I be able to keep up with these young people? You know, usually they're oh, 18, yeah. 19. And uh, I was even uh, questioning myself whether I was going to graduate from basic because, you know, it's, uh, it's tough. All the physical activities, uh, all the things that you have to yeah. go through. And, in basic training boot camp as they call it and i was surprised that once you're put in the in the situation where you just have to adapt and overcome then you do it 
and I was happy that I graduated. I was happy that I made it through. And then uh, I ended up in Germany as my duty station. And then I ended up in, uh, in Afghanistan shortly after that. And I, when you look at my friends and when you talk to my, my siblings and my friends, I'm the least likely person to, to be in the military because I'm just a friendly guy. I'm not a very athletic guy. I just, uh, I oh, love yeah. to talk and it's not me, but I, I needed to take care of my family. So I took that route and uh, I, was in, I was in the middle of combat. And 10 months of that, seeing my friends getting hurt, seeing, because you develop these friendships with the people that you are there with. It's no longer about, part of it is patriotism, but more of, more of it is like, you spend all this time with these guys where you become like brothers. So you're just protecting each other. And if somebody gets hurt, you feel it like a, like a brother got hurt. Oh, and yeah. So that, that's traumatic, right? They're seeing the people get hurt. You are basically every day we were out there on patrols. And um, we were always getting into uh, small little firefights, battles. They shot us. We shot back. And then we pursued and every now and then they set up explosives where we just triggered explosives and then people would get hurt and i saw children get hurt because that the people that live in that area they also walk the same paths and sometimes they they also get hurt because of the booby traps that some of the people who were out to get us oh yeah yeah so all of that was very traumatic but at the time i didn't realize it because i was numb because every day you have this adrenaline pumping through your body uh, because you're in survival mode. And it wasn't until later that I came back from the deployment that, uh, that I, I was acting different. And some of the people that grew close to me began to tell me, hey, dude, you don't smile like you used to. Uh, maybe you need to go talk to someone because I'm a smiley, happy guy. That's my nature. And then... Uh, I talked to a psychologist a couple of times and uh, that did the trick. But when you're in the military, you sort of don't want to go see a psychologist because it's that stigma that, hey, I'm seeing a shrink. I'm seeing a psychologist. What does that say about me? Uh, so I put it off to the side. And it wasn't until years later, it wasn't until 2014 that I started drinking. And I was, uh, I, I realized that it became, for, for four months, I was drinking every day. And uh, I had it in the schedule to where uh, by the time my wife came home, I was already sober up and clean and shaved and showered. So she didn't know that I was drinking. And, uh, and, and then I quickly realized that that was not a long-term solution. And I took myself to the VA, spoke to the people there and I said, yeah, I need to talk to someone. They gave me a, a therapist, they gave me a psychologist. And for 10 months straight, every two weeks, I would go see the psychologist. And one thing that I, now I realize is that what the psychologist did for me is he just allowed me to speak. He never gave me any tips, any advice. He just, for an hour, just like asked me questions and I would speak, speak, and they would, he would encourage me to speak about the, the more difficult events that happened while I was there. So I spoke about the children getting hurt, seeing my friends get hurt. And over time, just speaking about that, it was just like taking a load off my shoulders. 
And now I realize that how the power of conversations, just speak without getting any advice, any feedback, just like speak, 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 taking an idea to its logical conclusion, then you begin to hear yourself and realize, okay, some of the things that I'm saying are not completely true or uh, you just get very specific about what you're feeling because sometimes you feel angry, sometimes you feel frustrated, sometimes you feel shame for some of the, the, the way things went and being able to, instead of saying, I feel like crap today, you know, to be able to say today I'm feeling angry or today I'm feeling frustrated or today I'm feeling uh, overwhelmed. And all those little things helped me to put myself back together, but it was a process that I was very willing to go through because I knew that the whole drinking thing was not a long-term solution and I didn't want to ruin my relationships with my, my wife and my, oh, yeah. my friends. And, and unfortunately, I see that some people don't, uh, don't take the option of going to see a psychologist and then uh, their lives get uh, taken over by alcohol, drugs, and uh, fighting or things like that. And, and things spiral out of control because they use the least optimal solutions to their problem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you were uh, deployed for how long about? You 10 said? months. Okay. I was, I was, okay. Yeah, I was 10 months in Afghanistan. And uh, yeah, it, I was in the middle of combat the, the, the whole 10 months just doing patrols, daily patrols. And uh, when we came back, we were told, uh, I mean, we, we talked to some experts, you know, some mental health professionals, and they say, uh, the, in the beginning or for a while, you're going to be hyper alert. And because you're just so used to, you're on standby all the time. You never know when they're going to attack you and when you're going to have to roll out, go outside the wire, as we call it. And oh, yeah, yeah. Go, yeah, go on a mission. And uh, so even, even to this day, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm just like hyper alert, looking around. Every time I walk into my house, I sort of, uh, look around, look at all the corners, just, uh, I know that most likely nothing bad is gonna happen, but I, force of habit, or maybe there's a little bit of anxiety inside of me still where I need to make sure my house is cleared before I feel comfortable that I'm in my home. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, did it, um, I'm guessing it was quite an, uh, quite an adjustment going from going, you know, being in the military to kind of like civilian life. Um, and even just working kind of, I guess, a regular job or career and other stuff like that. Did it take you a long time to kind of adjust to that? Or was it, it must have been a big kind of change. As long as you're super busy, I think uh, your body adapts and you sort of run on that uh, anxiety of being busy. But whenever like things get, when things slow down, for example, it, it didn't hit me really hard until I started going to school. I decided, okay, I'm gonna just, you know, work part-time and I'm going to go to school. So my life was good. I was like, I was getting, I was getting paid for going to school. I was, I had my part-time job. I was happily married. All my kids were healthy. All, everything was going great. And I was just being every day overwhelmed by this anxiety and emotion that something's wrong and, uh, it flattens you. It's just, uh, 
it's hard to explain to people, but they just say, well, okay, you might be feeling a little bit overwhelmed. It's like feeling overwhelmed, but the whole day and you don't know why. And uh, it's eating you up from the inside. And uh, it's all these things that you've been bottling up inside and they need to come out. And again, through counseling, through, through the speaking to the therapist, I was able to speak about those things. So they began to come out, come out. And I, I felt lighter every time I left the, the office because all those things, you know, trauma, whether it was from war or whether because someone assaulted you or because of divorce or because of an accident, it, it weights you down and you need to speak about it in such a way that it does it, it dies in the outside and doesn't die with you inside because oh, yeah. Tends, yeah that that that's that's and i'm a huge proponent for people to speak in such a way that there is no interruptions just speak and try to articulate what you're feeling and i think what happens we mean well as humans like we, we go and we we we're feeling overwhelmed so we talk we talk to someone and immediately they go into I'm going to fix it mode. Okay. I'm going to give you some advice. And it's like, no, you're interrupting the process. You need to empathically just listen to the person who wants to speak. And I think yeah. this is what I, I learned in therapy. Let someone speak until they're exhausted from speaking. And because you, each individual, you're the expert of you. So only you will be able to figure out how to make your life better. The advice, I, I feel that advice is autobiographical, meaning that what worked for me may not work for you. So, but speaking, speaking honestly, being vulnerable and just letting it out, letting it all come out, allows you to figure out, okay, where was I? Where am I now? Where do I want to go? What am I saying that is complete bullcrap? What am I saying that, it's not helping me anymore. Uh, and who do I want to be? I mean, that's, that's one of the questions that I ask me, ask myself a lot sometimes, because even, even to this day, after having gone to counseling and having learned, having had these epiphanies about me, uh, some days I just wake up and I don't want to get out of bed. And I have to have a little conversation with myself. Okay, who do I want to be today? How do I want to show up in the world today? and I cannot change the past. Definitely the future's not here yet. So get out of bed, go shave, go do, get yourself for the day. And uh, yeah. what do you want to do today? And then uh, then I go for it. Yeah, 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 I, I agree with that. Um, I think, um, what is it, especially like kind of empathy and compassion and stuff like that, especially even with therapists or other people, a lot of people just kind of want to fix you or kind of um, push things on you and uh, people should really just kind of be allowed to kind of speak and speak their truth and stuff like that, I think. But um, yeah, that's really profound and kind of insightful, I think. Um, you um, you mentioned some other things. I know you mentioned ayahuasca and other things. Um, yes. Did you find that on your own research or did someone suggest that or was it something kind of like intuitively you kind of thought would help or... Or is there I've, anything else that you've found, like maybe meditation or anything that has helped? As well? I, I've known about ayahuasca since I was a little boy. 
But growing up, I, I growing up in Peru, you know, ayahuasca comes originally from the Amazon. So it comes from Peru and Bolivia and uh, Brazil, all those areas. And, but because I grew up in a very uh, religious home, I was always told that that was just no good. It just, it, it, it's from the devil. Oh, so, yeah. So it was always suppressed. Like that, it, it was something that I, I knew about, but I didn't uh, pursue. And it wasn't until my mid-20s that I heard about stories uh, about ayahuasca. And then when I was living in Europe, I heard a lot of people traveling from, from Germany to Peru to the Amazon to do ayahuasca. And I realized that I didn't know enough about it. So I started doing my research and then I started uh, realizing that a lot of the people that I respected at an uh, admire like writers, philosophers, professors, uh, people that, you know, had businesses. Little by little, I started hearing that they've ha they had done it and they had attributed a lot of their breakthroughs to ayahuasca. So then I said, you know what, I, I, ha I have to do it. I have to do it now. Oh, yeah. And there is so much uh, research since the 60s about ayahuasca, how people who are addicted to drugs can overcome their addiction. People who have trauma can overcome their trauma by doing one or a couple of sessions of ayahuasca. And then they're able to, uh, I mean, what happens is you rediscover yourself. You're put in a position where in the same way that I said that you need to speak to and have a thought to its logical conclusion. Once you take ayahuasca, you have your thoughts and they run without the ego or without any, uh, anything getting in the way. Just the thought just goes all the way through and you're able to, in a way, see your entire life, past, present, future, or alternative futures. It's almost like a movie. Uh, kind of like when you watch a movie, you buy, you buy a DVD and they say, well, alternative endings to this movie. And you begin to see all these different possibilities in your mind that play out that I saw myself in, uh, in some of the sessions that I did where I was uh, totally, uh, I had, as a veteran who had lost his, all his limbs, for example, and I was in a hospital. And not only do you see it like a dream, but you feel it, like you're almost like in that, you embody that vision and you feel it and you cry about it and you, you feel the pain of it and you have, experience that you wish you never had in real life, but also you also have great experiences. Uh, you get to see yourself uh, having experiences, traveling the world, doing things, uh, transforming yourself into animals and things like that. And uh, mm. I think it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's like having a multiple dreams, like, I don't know, a hundred dreams in one night every time you do it. Mm. Yeah, I've, that's interesting because I know from some research and I've seen like some documentaries on stuff on it. Um, mm -hmm. I think um, if I'm remembering that there's um, I don't know if you're familiar with it cause you're, you're from Peru, but I thought there was a um, almost, I want to say a church that kind of uses it as kind of like a spiritual practice and it combines kind of, I want to say Christian and kind of ayahuasca some too, but I think it's at like kind of a low dose. Um, are you familiar with that at all? Or, uh... Well, I, I know in the U.S., uh, 
the, there has been a couple of churches uh, that have been able to practice and uh, give that to the members of the church under the Relig Religious Freedom Act. They're able yeah. to practice that. Uh, I know the regulations have gotten tougher in the U.S., so it's very difficult to come by. If you really look, you will find it in Hawaii and other places. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is because of the Religious Freedom Act that people can, can do it whatever, whenever it shows up in the U.S. It, it is definitely a ritual from the First Nations, uh, I guess the indigenous of Peru. So they can practice it as much as they want because it is part of their culture. Yeah. And, and um, when you did it, you said you, did you do it in Europe, you said, or did you do it in Peru or, or both? Yes. I, my, my wife is German and I, the last, uh, I lived in Germany. Well, I lived in Germany for like seven years on and off. But the last time I was there, I was there for three years as a civilian. And uh, yeah, I, once I started doing my research, I learned that in the Netherlands, uh, specifically in Holland, they had these retreat centers. They're more like spiritual retreats where you go there and yeah, you, it's very well organized. You go there and there is a briefing before you do, you do the ayahuasca. And then before you go there, it's like a complete journey. You have to get into this diet because they warn you that you are going to uh, throw up. Uh, they call it purging. You're going to purge. So they put you in a diet of very light food uh, because you may even soil yourself because the body is just trying to push a lot of stuff out. Uh, so I was in a, in a diet for at least three days before I showed up there then you, you're given a briefing and you're told that you're always in control and you are. I mean, sometimes if you need to be taken out of the room because you're, you're seeing too much and you're experiencing too much, they'll take you to a separate room where there is no music because somehow the music activates the, the experience. And then you just feel, you feel like you're tipsy. You feel like, yeah, like, yeah you feel inebriated. But once you get back into the room with the dim lights and the music consistently playing, it's almost like the music takes you into the dream light, uh, like, a, like a dream state. And the patterns that you see and the dreams that you see sort of move to the rhythm of the music. And every time there is a change of, from one song or music to another one, then all of a sudden that dream that you were having goes away and then a new one starts. So. Interesting. And um, so you said you went on this retreat. Did you go on one or several and how long did it last? Was it, uh, did you do like daily kind I, of drinking or ceremonies or? In, in the span of 15 months, I, I did it seven times. The first time I, I went there, I did it once. The second time, three months later, I did it two days in a row. And then uh, I went there again two times. That's five times. And the last time again, I did two, two times, uh, two days in a row. So basically you take uh, the way they, they serve it over there. There's two plants actually in, in the Amazons, they, they mix it all together, but over there, one of it is an inhibitor that keeps your body from breaking down the ayahuasca too fast. And uh, so you, you take this inhibitor and then uh, they wait 15 minutes. So that 
has no hallucinogenic effect or anything like that. And then you take the other shot and that shot uh, within 15 minutes, then you begin to feel like you want to throw up. Uh, at least the first time you feel like you want to throw up. And then uh, after you throw up, they call it the perch. They give you a bucket. They, I mean, they set you up. They give you a nice little comfortable bed with a pillow, a blanket. Uh, they give you a bucket, uh, some tissue paper and water. So, and, and then the people that give you the, the briefing, they're your guides. So if you need help, if you need support, if you need someone to hold you, you just say, hey, hey you just raise your hand and they come and they know what, what you need because they've been watching you the whole time. So it's very, very safe. Uh, the reason why some people have gotten into trouble, like have gotten hurt from doing ayahuasca is when they did it on their own and they freaked out and they ran outside their house and then they were exposed to all the elements while they were under the influence. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so no, you, it's something that you have to do it with a lot of respect because uh, they say there is a feminine essence, a feminine presence that you feel while you do it. And they say, she will discipline you and she will teach you and she will love you and she will hold you, but don't underestimate her because she will, she will definitely dis discipline you. And so whenever you feel prompted deep inside, you feel like, okay, it's time to purchase, time to throw up and you fight it. Oh my gosh. You feel like you want to throw up even more and you feel so sick. But if you just, follow the promptings and don't try to find, you just completely let go. You get your bucket, you throw up, and then uh, the, the less you fight it, the more you get into the experience and you can, you can see lights, you can see all the shapes and lights as they show it in movies, or you can choose to learn and say, teach me, I completely surrender, I wanna learn something new because they ask you to go there with an intention. What, what do you wanna get out of this? And I was just there like, teach me, teach me. And then sometimes just the voice tells you because you hear these voices in your head. It's like, slow down, you're not ready for that. And sometimes you challenge, it's like, oh, you wanna see that? Okay, here you go, boom. And then you, you get an experience that you were probably not ready for. Like you see people you love died or you, know, you see someone, uh, you, you see the, in my case, I saw like these beautiful women and then all of a sudden they just totally, decay and then they kind of like the whole process of decomposition happening oh, really? yeah people totally like falling apart and decaying turning into skeletons all the way to dust and it's all happening like kind of like uh yeah fast speed going through your life it's the same experience that a lot of people say whenever they have a near-death experience when they see they say i saw my whole life flash before my eyes it's almost like that. You see so many things, things that you've thought of before and things that you've never thought of before. And it's all consistently flashing before your eyes. You see people you love. I got to see my grandfather who's already passed away. Uh, and then we both turn into, into tigers. And then we both, we hug each other and we melt it completely like wax mm. and, uh, one of the things that my grandfather told me, because it's almost like visions. Whenever you hear these Native Americans speak about after they do peyote and they, they commune with the spirits, it's literally like that. You get to, see, it's almost like the, the skies are open and then you, you get to see everything. And, and at the time you feel like you, you have the answer to every question. 
and I got to see my grandfather and my grandfather said, so when are you going to stop, step up and become the man of uh, the patriarch of, of the home? You know, uh, your, your brothers, your cousins, everyone, they, they, they need a, they need a father figure in the home and we're all adults, but it's just like that old idea that native Americans have that the older you are, you're responsible for the tribe and you are the repositor of uh, wisdom and uh, oh, people yeah. come to you because you have that wisdom. And that's how culture is passed through storytelling. And uh, yeah, it was almost like a, it was a beautiful, bittersweet moment when I saw my grandfather and then he said, now, when are you going to step up uh, and be the, the patriarch of, of the home? And I'm like, oh gosh, that was intense. Yeah. Um, so did you, um, you said you kind of set an intention for each time. Was it about the same or did you kind of, I guess, it, sort of get used to it over as you did it more and more? Was it kind of different every time or? Cause you said you, you could, did. you get curious. So you ask different things. The, the last one that I did, I wanted to experience wealth to the point where, you know how they say, be, be aware of what you wish for. We, be aware of what you wish for because you might get it. And I wanted to experience wealth. And I got to see all these visions where I was like super wealthy. Everything was uh, sat, you know, like uh, silk and leather to the point where it was so intoxicating, the, the smells of oak and leather and silk and money. And I was just like, get me out of here. It just felt like a prison of everything that I could conceive as wealth. And it was all mine. And I was in the middle of it. And it was like a bad dream. It's like, get me out of here. I'm done. This is not real. It's just like, it's all a facade. And, uh, and the thing is, when people talk about bad trips, it's just, you're done. And you, you, you don't want to face it anymore. And... It's basically like you asked for it, so you get to hang out here for a while and you get to see it to it's the ridiculous end of it. And then uh, then once I, I was exhausted of that, it just switched into another dream. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, have you found anything else uh, helpful as well? You said therapy, ayahuasca. Have you tried... Um, you kind of, you said you kind of grew up religious. Um, have you found like kind of praying or meditation or anything else that has been kind of helpful for One you? One thing or? that I, yeah, I, I would say like, look, when, when people pray, if you break it, if you break it down, it's like you, you go in there and you address uh, something bigger than you, God, whatever you want to call it. Then you you show gratitude you say thank you for this and that everything that i have then you ask uh you are hey you know I, this is what i need can you please grant me these wishes or these desires of myself and then you you show faith you're like i, I believe in you so i know you're gonna grant, grant me these wishes and it's no different than just a, a good meditation of like i am feeling happy and grateful for everything that i have and what I want in my life to experience is, uh, so we're all praying in one way or another, whether you believe in God or not, we're all going through the same processes uh, because you have to believe that it's something that you cannot live without, whether you're religious or not. And whether you say faith or belief, it's something that allows you to navigate through life because 
we don't know everything. And the way I heard it recently described is faith or belief is that which fills the gaps between what you know and what you don't know and helps you make it through. I'm going to do certain things and I believe that if I do it right and if I do it consistently, I'm going to get a certain result. So definitely a meditation, a prayer, being in the moment allows me to, to have a, to focus on what I'm grateful for and what I want and um, be able to, to be in a better place. Uh, and, and I've discovered that the way I get there to, to those prayers is through conversations, having a conversation and not for the sake of getting advice from it or for having someone answer my or solve my problems, but speak so I can hear myself. And then I eventually I realize what things am I saying are true? What things am I saying that are not completely true? And then I begin to change the way I articulate and communicate my intent, uh, the way I see the world. And uh, you let someone speak and you listen for a while, they'll tell you everything. I encounter a lot of people who tell me a lot of intimate, in, intimate things that they wouldn't share with a, with a family member. And the reason why they do that is because I try to stand in a place of non-judgment. I'm just like, in a way, I'm like that bucket in the ayahuasca because the ayahuasca is, you throw up and you're purging yourself of all oh, those yeah, negative yeah. things. So, and that's something that I learned in one of my ayahuasca sessions. It's like, you want to make a difference in the world, become the bucket. And becoming the bucket is not giving people advice. It's just like, I'm here for you. Speak. I will honor your your story, I will listen to you. I'm not even gonna try to understand it, but I am fully present here listening to you because in the end, it's that person who's struggling who needs to do all the work to put themselves together. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's very, um, very profound. Um, I can't think of any questions off the top of my head. Is there anything else you want to kind of talk about or bring up? Um, well, yeah, I would say like, you know, first off, if people are going through, we all have repressed memories, repressed, uh, we've all gone through some negative or traumatic event at some point in one way or another, whether something happened to us when we were younger or recently, or maybe our father left us or our mother died, or we all go through all these events and we just push them down, push them down. And eventually that comes out one way or another. And I would say, if you have access to talk to a therapist, a psychologist, do it. And you will discover a lot of things about yourself that you didn't know. If you don't have access to that or it's out of reach for some reason, then find someone that you trust. And it's very difficult to ask someone, I wanna share something with you but I don't want answers, I don't want advice. I just, could you just be there for me while I speak? Because I don't even know what's gonna come out, but I feel that it needs to come out. And identify a, a person who can honor your story and you can talk to. Uh, that's number two. Number three, if you don't have access to the first, the first two, get a piece of paper and write your thoughts into it and keep writing until you're able to articulate what you're feeling and do it again and again and again. I, I, to me, 
thinking and writing are very similar, are pretty much the same thing, except that in the writing, when you speak or you, when you think, there are just ideas bouncing in your head. But when you put it on paper, you get to, it's, it's right in front of you. And you may think that you're feeling bad because, I don't know, I just feel bad. And maybe what you're feeling today is anger, or maybe what you're, you're feeling today is frustration. You need to identify what it is that you're feeling so you can create a plan of how to deal with it. Uh, you are the expert of you. So yeah, you need to let it out one way or another because otherwise it will consume you. And then you will, you, you will keep wondering, why is my life not working? Why am I so dissatisfied? Well, speak it into being, just let it out and, uh, and listen to yourself or read, read what you wrote. And then you will begin to identify that some of the things that you're saying are probably hurting you more than anything. Have you ever had a thought in your mind that was so clever, but the moment you spoke, you realize how uh, not, it just didn't even make sense? Yeah, yeah, I get like that sometimes, actually. <laughs> we all do, and I think that's what happens with our thoughts. In our mind, it sounds clever. I mean, sometimes we, we, we're so... We're so mean to ourselves, you know, like uh, I, re I remember waking up one morning and I had a dream and this was recently, like uh, two months ago. Uh, and I had a fist fight with my brother and we are not like that. We love each other, but I had a fist fight with my brother and I remember waking up and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a stupid dream. I'm a piece of shit. And I'm like, why would I say that about me? Oh yeah, yeah. Hmm. But we say things like that to ourselves and uh, consistently we're, we're very, very harsh to ourselves and we need to be mindful of how we talk to ourselves. And, uh, and the more mindful we are of how we talk to ourselves and how we treat ourselves, then also our relationships with other people will change. We often have these travels with relationships and the first relationship that we have to uh, have harmony with is the relationship that we have we have with ourselves how do we treat ourselves how do we talk to ourselves and i think that all it's very helpful to have conversations or to uh to talk to a psychologist or to write it down uh, and then eventually you begin to treat yourself like like someone you love and then your relationships in the outside with your parents with your friends with your siblings uh begin to change because you started treating yourself like the person who deserves to be treated nicely. And those things I've learned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, hmm. um, I can't really think of anything else. Any other questions? Um, if there's okay. anything else uh, you kind of want to add or. I, I would encourage people to like, you know, like I said, find a, mental health and also to once in one at least once in a lifetime try ayahuasca uh in a control setting where you know there's uh people have prepared the space and have prepared you and you prepare yourself to do it i mean some people may call it it's a recreational uh recreational drug and i would say recreational is not the proper term for it because there is nothing recreational about you being faced with how full of crap you are. You know, you being oh, faced yeah. with you, seeing the core you and how you need to make yourself better so you can make the world better. And it's a lot of work, but it's so worth it. You just walk out of there like a 
knowing that you need to step up and be a better person there because you are whoever you are and however you think it ripples into the world and if you're not in harmony with yourself you create more of that into the world hmm. interesting yeah um yeah uh i think that's probably about it on uh, thank you for coming and speaking i know we had to reschedule and everything but it was a uh, really profound insightful and especially the ayahuasca and uh, especially all you've been through, especially with your um, combat experience and stuff like that, and even just in your civilian life. Um, yeah, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and I love having this conversation. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. I wish you all the best. And if you ever want to invite me again for to have a different conversation, I'll be more than happy to do it. Yeah, uh, I, I'd love to. Um, you're only my second guest so far, but um, um, you've been... Uh, last one, last guest was really good too, but you are, uh, been really good and profound and stuff like that too. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I know this, this time is a time of changes. There's a lot of things that are going to be different within the next few months, few, few years. Uh, you're going to find a lot of people reinventing themselves. I think this is a good opportunity for people to, to do a little more thinking and, and communicating. Who do I want to be? Because we're all going to be sort of forced to reinvent ourselves. And I'm sure you're going to have a lot of guests that are going to go through a, a process of changing and becoming. I mean, we're always becoming. Yeah. And I think we're going to feel it a little more now. Yeah. 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 So thank you. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Oh, yeah.